Uh, if you have a Bible, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be looking at Luke 7, verses 11 through 17. And while you're turning there, uh, let me, uh, again, just quickly introduce myself. Uh, I am Way Rutherford. I'm the RUF campus minister. And uh, as always, as of course here last week getting to do this and love getting the opportunity to be here with you uh, in, in this capacity. And always want to say thank you uh, for how you support RUF, how you uh, support us financially, a number of you individually, uh, how you pray for us, how you encourage us. Uh, always want to say thank you. Uh, we are, are grateful for your love and support of RUF. Uh, along those lines, uh, if you know me, a number of you know that I spend my summers uh, preparing for the fall, basically writing the sermons that we're going to be doing in the fall. That's what I work on during the summer. And so this coming fall, we're going to be in, we're going to do a study through Luke. And so this is the first time, uh, at least in a, as long as I can remember, that I'm basically preaching a sermon at a church that I haven't already preached at RUF. So this is fresh material. Uh, so excited about that, a little different, and hopefully it will uh, it'll, it'll work out. We'll see. You can, you can be the judge of that, I guess. All right, so we are looking at Luke 7, 11 through 17. Let me get you to stand, please, while we read God's word. It says, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole, through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Be you can be seated. And I'm going to pray for us one more time before we consider it further. Father, we are grateful that you are a God who speaks. And so as the speaker of these words, we pray that you would now be their, their great teacher and applier. And that you would be at work in spite of certainly my shortcomings as a speaker, uh, and also in spite of all of our, the sin in our hearts that makes us slow to believe, that causes us to be deaf to your word, would you work in spite of that, work in spite of our distractions, and open our ears so that we can hear. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when I was in college, uh, towards the tail end of college, uh, we used to, uh, 
used to play a fair amount of pickup basketball, and when we couldn't find a, a full game, we would sometimes just go up to our church, and we had sort of a makeshift gym and, and sort of small basketball court in the back of our church, and one afternoon, I was playing with it was just two of my friends, uh, one of which was a guy named Nathan, who was my roommate, and obviously I knew Nathan pretty well, and then the other guy that we were playing with was a guy that we, both of us were really just acquainted with. We didn't know him that well. And so we were just playing a little game of 21, and uh, the, the third guy, so not my roommate, Nathan, uh, is a sort of smaller framed guy, kind of a quick guy, sort of your point guard style. And somewhere in the middle of the game, he, he was trying to drive around Nathan, trying to dribble around him, and he got frustrated and pulled the ball back out because he had tried several times, and he muttered to himself, he wrote, I don't even really think he was aware that he was saying this out loud, but he said, you're a big guy. I know I'm faster than you. And Nathan said, well, maybe not. <laughs> and he's right, because Nathan was and, and is a big guy. And he's a big enough guy that he actually was on the Ole Miss football team for a time, because he's an incredible athlete. And so our, our friend got a little taste, uh, a little lesson that day in, in what he believed to be basically impossible, that somebody can't be really big and strong and yet be quick and fast. The two just don't go together. You can't be both. You can be one or you can be the other. And, and usually it's one at the expense of the other, right? But he had this, got this lesson that, Actually, sometimes it can be both. And I use that as a, a little bit of an illustration of what we see in this passage. Uh, in the fall, we're, as we are going to study through Luke, our, our theme every week is going to be investigating Jesus. Because that's really what Luke, uh, Luke the author of Luke, it's what he does. He is a, a very careful historian. He really operates almost like a detective uh, trying to get to the bottom of who Jesus is. And in this passage that we have uh, before us this morning, what we see is that Jesus, I think two things about Jesus really rise to the, to the forefront. That we see two things about Jesus that typically don't go together in people. And what I want you to see this morning is that in this passage, we're going to see that Jesus is, on the one hand, he is, he is incredibly compassionate. And, at the same time, he has, he's mind-blowingly powerful. That he is incredibly strong, and he's profoundly compassionate and sensitive. Those two things typically don't go together in people. I, I think we at least tend to think that way. The compassionate, sensitive people don't tend to be strong and powerful in, in some fashion, and, and vice versa. Right? The people that we think of that are the strongest and the most powerful, I think typically they don't tend to be the most passionate and, and compassionate, sensitive. But Jesus is both, very much so. So those are going to be our, our two points this morning, two things that we're going to look at. So first, I want you to see Jesus' compassion. 
Jesus' compassion. And to do that, we need to look at the scene, sort of set the scene. What's going on here? Well, Jesus is about to walk into this, uh, this small town called Nain. And he's got, the text tells us, he's got a lot of people with him. He's got a, a crowd of folks. He's got his disciples and a number, number of other people, and they're following with him. And as he's walking into this city, there's this other large group of, of people. The text tells us a considerable crowd that's coming out of the town, and it's, it's a big funeral. A funeral parade. I don't know if you can use the word parade with funeral, but that, that's essentially what it is, this big parade, the big funeral coming out. And it really was, this funeral, it was a uniquely awful scene. This funeral was for a young man, and he was being carried out of town on a, a bier, which is it was basically like a coffin with no lid on it. And his mom is there, walking alongside it, and of course she's crying. And the text tells us that there are a lot of other people there. It seems that this was a, a funeral where the whole town really essentially had come out. It was uniquely difficult and sad. And I think that was for at least for a few reasons. First, there's no father walking alongside the mother. And that's because the text tells us that he had already died. So this woman has already suffered the loss of her husband. She's a widow. She's already been through this. And secondly, now she's having to bury her son. And I... There just isn't much worse in this world than the pain of a parent having to bury a child. I don't, some of you might unfortunately know that. Right, we all know death, all death is unnatural and painful. But there's something unique about a, a mother or father having to bury a child. It's a unique sadness and a unique pain and grief. Uh, but at least a, a third reason this is uniquely sad is this is her only son. So she's all alone now. That's one aspect of it. Her husband's gone. Now her only son is gone. And of course, that's a problem just from the loneliness of it. But uh, in addition to that, in this day and age, it wasn't easy for a woman to have a, a full-time job that would, so to speak, pay the bills. And so women relied on, for their income, for their uh, security, and not just current income, but for their retirement, they relied on their husbands and their male children. So that's all gone. So this woman is mourning the death of her husband, now the death of her, of her little boy. And we don't know how old, but I mean, she was always going to be his little, her little boy. So she is profoundly sad. And now, on top of that, no doubt, she is scared to death. Scared to death of what the future holds. So I think you can see that her life, her life is just wrecked. And I want you to look at verse 13. It says, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her 
And he said to her, do not weep. I want you to see that Jesus sees this woman. He's, he's walking into town and, and he sees her. He doesn't just see a big crowd of people. He doesn't just lay eyes on her. He, he sees her. He, he thinks about her. He recognizes what's going on. He sees her and understands. And, and we talk like that now, right? We, we say things like, uh, I feel so seen. And what we mean by that is we feel, we feel known, we feel understood. Jesus sees this woman. And he knows that she is absolutely crushed right now. That she's, she's so sad that she's almost certainly thinking and dealing with the, what in the world is going on? I just went through this. How could God be doing this to me? And the text tells us that Jesus sees her and he has compassion on her. He's moved by what he sees. His heart breaks for this woman. And so he goes over to her and he looks at her and he says, don't cry. And you can hear the tenderness of him going over and speaking to her. Don't cry. And I want you to notice that, or actually let me back up and say that I'm sure you've had some sort of experience like that where there's been someone in your life that you care about. Somebody that you care about when they cry. I think especially maybe as a parent, when, when your child cries and when they, when they, when they cry because they're, they're really hurt, maybe physically hurt, but, but when they've had their feelings hurt, when life has really gotten them in a, in a unique way and when they cry, but when it's somebody in your life that you love that's crying, I'm sure you've had the experience of where it just, it hurts so bad, you would do anything to make them stop crying. And your heart goes out and, and you say, don't, don't cry, don't cry. Right? That's what Jesus is doing with this woman. That's a little taste of what he's feeling for her. And I want you to notice that this is, this is one of the times that nobody asked Jesus to come over and help. The widow doesn't say, if you can do anything. Nobody gets Jesus and says, this woman's son has died. The text just tells us that his, his motivation was that he had compassion on her. So in other words, he wasn't going over because, because this is going to be a great opportunity for a miracle. This is going to be a great opportunity for me to advance my ministry and, and display what I'm all about. This is going to be a great opportunity for me to, uh, to convince some people of who I am. No, he goes over because he has compassion for her. Because his heart is breaking for her. Simply because he cared about her. So what does that mean for us? How do we, how do we apply that? And I want you to see that, and especially you know, if we're in the context of our series of investigating Jesus, 
I simply want you to see how compassionate Jesus is. That, that he's deeply compassionate, that he cares about people. And remember who Jesus is. I mean, we've seen this uh, throughout Luke to this point, but our passage even tells us, uh, you may not have even noticed this. I know I didn't the first time I was sitting down to read through this passage. Look at verse 13. It says, and when the Lord saw her, our passage goes out of its way to talk about, it's talking about Jesus. It says, and when the Lord saw her, Jesus is, is God in the flesh, God incarnate. All right, so, so what? Why do we say that? Well, if you want to know how God feels about you in your pain and suffering, then you can look at Jesus. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. When you wonder, I wonder what God is like, you can, you can always look at Jesus. Because the Bible tells us he is the, the perfect imprint of his nature. So I wonder, what, wonder how God feels about me in my pain and suffering when I'm hurting. Well, what do you see in Jesus? You see compassion. You see deep compassion. So maybe you're struggling with depression or loneliness or hopelessness in some form or fashion. You feel like nobody gets you. You're hurting in some way. How does God feel about that? This is the picture. Maybe, maybe you're sad over the loss uh, of one of your loved ones. And it seems like everybody else has just gotten over it. And if they're honest, it feels like th that you should have gotten over it by now. Because, heck, it's been a week, or it's been a month, or it's been a year. When are you going to get over it? And it just still hurts. Or maybe it's the pain, the suffering of a health problem. Or how your marriage feels like it's just sort of slowly slipping away. Or financial troubles. Or, or, or whatever it might be. It can be really tempting, I think, for us to think that, that God is in heaven. And he just sort of hands out, he just sort of hands out difficulty and pain. Almost like he's directing a, a play. And he says, all right, we're, all right let's, let's, bring up, uh, let's, let's bring up the financial troubles a little bit. All right, the inner stage left, uh, let's bring in a death in the family. And now let's, uh, let's cue up some, uh, some marital strife just a little bit. See how... And then maybe even picks up a clipboard and a pen and, and watches to see how you deal with it. Or maybe God, you know, the picture, it can be easy to think that that God just sort of hands out difficulty and then just doesn't care. That, I think that can be our, our, our picture. And when we think that, I want to encourage us to replace it with reality, which is what we see in this passage. That when we're going through the whatever pain and suffering that we feel, that we, have, that we have a God that looks at us, a Savior that looks at us and says, don't cry. I feel it. I'm with you. We have a Savior that we, we see in other passages that does cry with us. 
Psalm 56, 8 tells us that God keeps our tears in a bottle. That he stores up our tears. That he records them in his book. In other words, that when we shed tears in pain and suffering, that God pays careful attention. That he's compassionate. All right, so we see God's, Jesus' compassion. Secondly, we need to look at his, uh, his power. And I think especially if you've, if you've grown up in the church and you've grown up hearing and reading these stories you know, for a long time, I, I want you to try to come at this fresh. Try to, in a sense, forget what you know about it and look at it fresh. I want you to try to picture how this played out. Put yourself in, in the middle of this funeral as you're walking out of town. So you're there. You know, maybe this, this is probably one of the biggest funerals. You're looking around thinking, gosh, this is probably the biggest funeral that, that we've had here in town. And it's just, so, it's just so dang sad. This poor woman just lost her husband, you know, just a few months ago, a couple years ago, whatever. And now she lost her, she lost her son. And it's just so sad. And in the middle of that, as you're walking along, you watch this guy, that, that this random guy, walk up. And he walks up to this woman and he says, don't cry. And almost certainly you think to yourself, don't cry. What? Who is it? Dude, are you, are you crazy? Are you just a jerk? And as you're forming that question, the next thing that happens is, is that he touches the coffin and he says to the dead body, son, get up. So now, you know, no doubt you go back to your question. All right, so the question was, is he crazy or is he mean? He's t I'm going to go crazy. It's obviously crazy. And as soon as you've come to that you know, half conclusion, you're thinking like, should I, should I just move this guy away? The dead body sits up and starts talking. And then, just to, you know, as the cherry on top, you watch this guy. His reaction is not like, oh, oh, wow, that, I wasn't real sure that was going to work. <laughs> you watch this guy react like he expected that to happen and help this kid down and give him to, give him to his mother. I mean, can you imagine I mean, can you imagine if we were here in this room for a funeral and that happened? Somebody walked in and, and says, get up, and it happens. It's just unimaginable power. It's category-blowing kind of power. And it's exactly what we see, the reaction in the text, right? It was verse uh, 16. Fear seized them all. Yeah, I guess so. They saw power that you can't even begin to wrap your mind around. And, and it was just terrifying. Stuff like that just doesn't happen. Right? They knew for sure that this guy was dead. 
like dead, dead. Like we're about to bury him dead. And this guy just walked up and he spoke, he, he spoke to death. And death basically just said, yes, sir, to this guy. That's power. Life and death answer to this man. And so now would be the time where I give you an, illustri- <laughs> I give you an illustration. And I sat at my desk for a long time, and I kept turning over illustrations about right, some sort of illustration of overwhelming power. Sports illustrations, strength, you know, all sorts of different things. And they all just felt ridiculous. And it finally, thankfully, dawned on me, that's because they are. You don't have to illustrate this. You can't illustrate this. He raised someone from the dead. Again, if you grew up in the church, you hear that and you're like, yeah, he raised people from the dead. No, no, no. He raised people from the dead. They were completely dead for days. And then he spoke and they were alive. That's amazing. That's unimaginable power. So what does that mean for us? What do we do with that? I want to apply it uh, along a couple of lines. Uh, first, I think it helps, us, it helps show us where we go for hope to fix, where we go for hope for our, our pain and our suffering, our difficulties. What's your hope for your pain. We all want to get it fixed. So where do we go? Where do you look? For the stuff that hurts, you know, the things that we mentioned earlier, your depression, anxiety, financial trouble, physical problems, your guilt, how you just can't quit that, whatever it is, your anger, your lust, whatever it is. What is it that you're hoping will fix it? Because certainly we want to look to something that can do the job. That's where we want to go. Uh, I think I've told you this story before, and I think this is going to be the. I think I'm going to make it through this fine. Not going to. Not going to get as, as stuck as we did last week. But I, I think I've told you this story before. If I did this a long time ago. Uh, if, you, if you know our family, you know that our, our middle child, Davis, uh, was born deaf. And so as we were, as Davis was just uh, a few months old, uh, we're beginning to go to doctors and, and try to, you know, see if we can, see if, if, if he can get fixed in some, some way, uh, see what the deal is. And so we went to a couple of doctors, and so we got recommended to this um, this one doctor, and so we're in uh, the office of a man named Dr. Uh, Dr. Gadgery, and we're in the waiting room, and this woman that's there, presumably also uh, to see the doctor, she strikes up a conversation with us, and she eventually says, well, who are you here to see? And she's, uh, we say, we're here to see Dr. Gadgery, and she just begins to spew praise for this man. And she talks about how for years she had some sort of inner ear deal where she could not 
lift her head, when she lifted her head off the pillow, she got sick. She could not get out of bed basically for years. And she went to doctors, and, and then she finally came to Dr. Gadry, and he fixed her. And she told us about how she had just gotten off an airplane. She's like, people with my problem do not go on airplanes. He fixed me. So I want you, I want you to imagine us sitting there, you know, with our uh, 10, 11-month-olds. Where do we go? And we hear that. And remember us looking at each, at each other and saying, I think we're in the right place. Why? Because he can do something about it. We've got to see that guy because he can fix it. Right? That's what, that's what this passage is helping us to see. That Jesus, Jesus has the power to fix what we need fixed. He's where we need to go. Because he can raise the dead. We tend to, unfortunately, we tend to put our hope, we tend to look other places. Right? We can tend to look to, you know, maybe we can tend to look to time to heal all wounds. And certainly it can help. But does it completely help? We can tend to look to things like various substances to sort of cover over the pain. And it, it can do that to some degree. But it doesn't have the power to fix it. We can look to any number of things just to distract us from the pain. From Netflix to work to fill in the blank. And it can help and it, it can do that. But it doesn't have the power to fix it. We can look to, especially if, it's, if our pain and suffering is sort of self-inflicted, our own sin, we can look to, to trying harder, to our own willpower to fix it. And if you're anything like me, you, you know it, it, it just doesn't have the power. We can look to changing our circumstances. If I can just get... If I can just have a new job, if I could just have a new husband or wife, if I could just change my whatever, it just doesn't have the power. But the good news is that, that Jesus does. Jesus has the power. Now, the second way I want to apply this very quickly is I, I think... Jesus' power helps us to see that we actually need to raise our, our, our hopes or our expectations because Jesus can do the impossible. Right? The fact that we see him raise the dead, I think, should change some things for us. Uh, a couple of thoughts. One, you know, maybe you're a believer and you've got a, a relative or a friend, and your default is to think, there is, I can't even imagine them having a positive thought about Jesus, much less believing and trusting him. There's no way that he or she would be converted. 
I want you to see this morning afresh. Jesus has the power to raise the dead. He can do it. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're not a believer. And, and your default is to think, yeah, I appreciate that. I, you know, I came with my friend here and, and I think God can, maybe there is a God and he works through you know, good people like my friend. But there's no way God would use, there's no way God could change me or use me after the things I've done or because of who I am. And this morning, I want you to see that Jesus has the power to raise the dead. Maybe you are a believer and you think, you think there's no way that God could work on me and fix that thing. I've been, I've been praying for years. I've been trying for years. There's no way God will, will fix this or can fix this. There's no way God can heal this. There's no way he can fix my addiction, make me feel better, whatever. I want you to see this morning the good news that Jesus has the power to raise the dead. But I also want you to see that this helps us set our hopes even higher than those things. Even higher than the hopes of, of fixing uh, that specific sin problem or our health problem or our financial troubles. Because I, I, want you to, I want you to think about this guy. As amazing as this is, the fact that Jesus raised him from the dead, what happened to him? Well, the text doesn't tell us, but I can tell you, and you know, he eventually died. Jesus did this amazingly powerful thing in his life, and he raised him from the dead, but death eventually got him. And so we actually see in this passage a glimpse of what Jesus ultimately came to do. There's a sense in which, you know, we can say, I said earlier, there's no illustration for this. It's so big. Well, it's actually bigger than that because it's almost like this thing is, an as big as it is, is an illustration. It's like a real-life illustration of something even bigger that Jesus came to do, which is to defeat death and sin in an ultimate sense. To heal not just our bodies in the here and now, to fix the, the wrongs the here, in the here and now, and the death that we experience in the here and now, but to fix the, the eternal death, our, our separation from God, to, to heal us from an eternity of having, a, really an eternity of death and decaying and dying, being separated from God. He's come to put an end to our sin. And I want to end with, with this. I want to end with two questions that have the same answer. Question number one, how did, how did Jesus put an, an end to ultimate death? And question number two, how can you know that Jesus would have compassion on you 
to do that for you. Right? So how did Jesus put an ultimate end to death? And how can you know? So we're, you know, great, we're saying that Jesus did this for this woman. How can I know that he would do that for me? I think two questions with the same answer. And I think we're going to sum it up in this one Bible verse that I bet you've heard. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, but have eternal life. Do you see that? that? That Jesus is the ultimate only son. The good news is that, that God gave his only son. He gave him up to death. So that you and I don't have to die. Jesus went to, so what did it look like? Jesus went to the cross in our place. There, we could say it this way. This isn't Jesus' last sort of interaction with death in this passage. At the very end of Luke's gospel, he's going to take on death. But he's going to take on death by taking it on. And letting it swallow him. And in a sense, just eat him up and overwhelm him. Because he did it in our place. So that you and I don't have to suffer the ultimate death. And when, when Jesus said, it, it is finished. And he died. He experienced death and hell. And then he rose from the dead. And the Bible tells us that when he rose from the dead... We rose with him. And so the good news for us this morning is that Jesus is almost unbelievably compassionate and amazingly powerful. That he can raise the dead and they are both together for us. And that's the good news that's offered to us this morning. Let me pray for us.